Today's show is brought to you by Zip Recruiter, the presenting sponsor of Recode Media. Zip Recruiter's powerful technology finds people with the right experience for your job and actively invites them to apply so you get qualified candidates fast. And now our listeners can try it for free at ziprecruiter.com slash Peter. Today's show is brought to you by Smartwater. Not satisfied being like other brands, Smartwater looked up in the clouds and said, I wonder if we can one-up Mother Nature for a pure, crisper water. And guess what? They did. Smartwater, vapor distilled for purity. Electrolytes for taste. This is Recode Media from the Vox Media Podcast Network. Uh, I'm Kurt Wagner, in for Peter Kafka, and today we're going to play an interview I did in Los Angeles with Maurice Jones-Drew. Uh, MJD, as people call him, used to play in the NFL. He was a Pro Bowl running back with the Jacksonville Jaguars and later with the Oakland Raiders, and now he is a television analyst for the NFL Network. Uh, we talked about all kinds of things, uh, his transition from football to media, uh, his thoughts on the future of uh, television and the NFL. I'm really excited to bring on a new voice to the podcast. And uh, here's the interview. Hope you enjoy. All right, thanks. We are here in LA at NFL Network uh, Studios. I'm with Maurice Jones-Drew, uh, former pro bowler, NFL running back. Welcome to Recode Media. <laughs> Thank you guys for having me. Yeah, MJD, I think you said is okay. It's perfectly fine. Okay, good. We're going to go with that. Um Welcome to the show. Uh, it is, I was actually a little surprised that you were available now because it's Monday and Monday Night Football starts in like less than three hours. I don't know what a typical Monday is like around here. I imagine it's kind of chaos these last couple of days. Like what's, uh, what's it like during the season? Uh, it's really not too bad on Mondays. It's more recap. Okay. Uh, kind of looking over what happened on Sunday or Thursday. Um, for me, it's a, my longest day because I do fantasy. I tape early in the mornings at eight o'clock and then go all the way to about noon, then I get a two-hour break, and then I come back and write a couple articles, then get ready to do so Monday write, Night game. You're writing on top of being on. Oh, yeah, you got to try to taste, try to touch Man, everything. Do podcasts as well, so I try to do a little bit of everything. And respect, because as someone who who writes as well, <laughs> I can tell you it's not a, it's it can be very time-consuming. So um, I, I didn't say in the intro, but you are now a network analyst for mm-hmm. NFL Network. You also do the Los Angeles Rams play-by-play, is that, or sorry, color, color. commentary. Yes. Um, so tell me, if you will, obviously it, it's kind of become common for, uh, everyone who is like a color analyst today is usually a former player. Um, but how does that process actually work? Uh, I, I think mine was much different. Um, it's weird that Naram just called my agent and was like, hey, we want to try Maurice out if he wants to do it. You know, come and do it. And I was like, all right, cool. Never did it before. And they were like, oh, don't worry about it. Well, you know, we want ours to have a different flow to it than the normal, the traditional way. Uh, and if you listen to our broadcast as much, it has a little bit of like slang in there, a little different, uh, much more, I guess, millennial, where, you know, we try to reach a younger crowd because the Rams, they do have an older crowd, but you have a, a lot of younger people that are joining up. Youngest and, coach in the NFL, right? Yeah, Head yeah, coach? Much younger than me, yeah, which is nice. He's, he's what, 31, 32? 30, yeah, 30. I think he just turned 32, maybe. Yeah, I, don't, I, don't, yeah. I don't remember exactly, but um, it's just a different feel. Um, and they wanted that because we're in L.A., and L.A. is a different vibe than most cities. And so it was nice. Um, 
the first couple times I was horrible, <laughs> god awful. What is much. what? How do you? Was that something that you figured out on your own, or did someone pull you aside and be like, "Hey, man, you're <laughs> well, you're pretty bad." Well, no, no, no. So I uh, I knew I was bad, and I kind of went in there like I'm just trying to figure this out. But I, I have a great play by play guy, JB Long, who uh, has done this a bunch, and he's worked with a ton of people, and you know, it just it was just really getting comfortable with him, understanding him, and and knowing what he's going to do and kind of learning him a little bit. And after, I want to say, I don't know, maybe a couple weeks, six weeks or so, we were able to kind of find our groove and we just started to grow after that. Uh, but it was it was funny. He took me to the side before one game. He was like, let's go work out together. And, and we went and worked out and we talked and we talked about a lot of different things, nothing about the game. And it just like made it made it easier for me because now this is not necessarily a coworker of mine. This is like a friend of mine. Sure. And, uh, you know, we're just trying to, to, to move forward. And so it, it was nice to have a guy who's been in this business and done a ton of those things and to get advice from different people throughout the way. Uh, but a lot of it was, you know, JB was just kind of like, be yourself, say what you say. If you ever get stuck, look at me, I'll, I'll, you know, coach you through it and we'll be good. And, you know, from then on out, this is year three and we've been having a ball since. Yeah. I mean, the, the, uh, it's a tough job for sure. And people are super critical online, as I'm sure you've learned. Uh, what is something that maybe surprised you as a former player? Once you're in the booth, um, you know, was there something that maybe you thought was going to be super easy or, or that was actually way harder than expected? Well, everything about broadcasting is about timing. So um, podcasts, you have, you know, hours and you can have uh, sometimes you have segments that are minutes, you know, three, four five minutes you can speak. Uh, when you're doing play-by-play or color, it's literally 15 seconds. You have to yeah. you, like form a, an idea or a thought of what you just saw and then be able to spit it out quickly. And then you have to get out because then JB has to get in to, to describe the next play. And so um, it, that was all timing. And some of these teams, like you'll play, my first game was on Monday night against the Niners and Chip Kelly. No pressure. Right? And then literally yeah. they're on the ball in two seconds and they're just going fast. And so it was uh, it was crazy, you know, but – it was a lot of fun learning and, and understanding it. Now I have kind of my flow and what I feel and, and what I'm comfortable with and as well as what JB is comfortable with. And, and we've been able to like kind of work together to make our own music in a way. Yeah. And, and it works well for us. And what's the, um, I think I've read somewhere that there, in order to become even a, a TV personality, right? There is some kind of training I imagine that you go through. I think I read something. Am I, am I, I making this I, up? No, no. I mean, some people, I, I think for people who, um, my my road was different. Okay. So let me say what was that. Your, yeah, what was my, your road? Maybe so, that's what I yeah, yeah, so my road was in college. I had a teacher. Uh, we all kind of took remedial English when we first got there. You had to kind of pass the class, and they could move you on to different places. And this is at UCLA. At UCLA, yes. Yeah. And um, you know, I went to Catholic, all boys Catholic, so I knew how to write and do all the different things. Now, there were some kids that I, I I went to school with that didn't know some of the 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 basic principles of writing, um, but the teacher saw that I was kind of advanced in those situations. Uh, and she was like, well, you know what? Let's have you speak in front of your peers. Learn to speak, right? Because you all, you all play ball. You all have to be able to speak in front of the media and, and enunciate your words and, and not have this some dialect. We had some guys from New Orleans with a, sure. a different dialect that you could barely understand, some swamp people type stuff. <laughs> uh, but um, she told us that the hardest thing you can do was speak in front of your peers, like people that you know. Yeah. Uh, and so I, every week I'd have to write something and then be able to, you know, regurgitated to my in front of my boys and they'd be throwing stuff at me or talking trash or laughing sure. if I messed up and it made me more comfortable because if I can do it in front of them I don't, if I don't know you it's much easier so when I got out of that I actually uh, got drafted to Jacksonville a couple years later 
um, in Jacksonville, had a radio show that I was able to practice and, and learn the arts of radio, which is completely different than TV. While you were playing, by yeah, the way. while which I was playing, rare, yeah, right. Like I do not see a lot of players hold a, a regular radio show, TV well, show. I, I, my agent, I have to give credit to my agent, Adisa Bakari, who uh, kind of pushed me in that direction as well. Uh, but yeah, so I had a radio, and you have to answer the tough questions, which I, I felt I felt comfortable answering those tough questions. Um, you know, there was a time where we were in the playoffs and a guy dropped a pass and people were like, oh, if he didn't, I'm like, look, it's easy to sit on your couch and say you would have caught that. Right. But in the situation, in the moment, and I learned how to defend my teammates, but also be critical in certain situations and and still be honest. And so, uh, doing TV and radio for two or three years, uh, I did that. And then, um, there was a play we were playing the Jets. I took a knee on the goal line and thanked all my fantasy owners and then got a radio gig with the Sirius XM, which for the last 10 years or or for 10 years I had that or eight years I had that, which went really well. Which also um, seems rare to me that because I always feel like people or players, they don't love the fantasy thing. They don't love people oh, yeah. coming up to them being like, hey, you're on my fantasy team, but you're kind of leaning into that. Yeah, yeah, it didn't, it didn't bother me. I, I, like, at the end of the day, like, it was a way for me and my buddies to be still be able to communicate because I was on the East Coast. They're on the West Coast, right? So that was a way for us to keep our communication going and yeah. be able to talk. Uh, and it forced us all to, you know, had a group chat and all this different stuff with it. So uh, it was nice. Um, and, and at the end of the day, I mean, people just want to compete anyway. So uh, I saw it as, the, as such. Some guys didn't like it, which is understandably so. You don't have to. But I, I embraced it and enjoyed it. And that's what really opened the doors to where I am now. Um, I had SiriusXM for... I want to say six years while I was playing or seven years while I was playing and then a year or two after. Um, and I we just finished that up because I took the Rams job and so I couldn't do both. It was just too much on my plate with the NFL yeah. Network. But um, all those things are reps at the end right. of the day, just repping how to talk, how to do certain things, uh, taking certain classes when I needed to, um, doing improv, which helps out a lot, oh, wow. right? Being yeah. able to think on your toes, which helps out in some of these situations. You still do improv? Uh, not as much. I, I just Slash, watch movies. Do you, do you want to announce when your next improv show is? So yeah, right. That, I wish. All of us can come uh, cheer that, you on. It, w- it would be funny. Uh, <laughs> we had to. Do, we actually had to do. I did my. It was funny. A lot of people here didn't know I, I did improv. Uh, or I took a couple of classes, and for the most part, like I've always done improv because I'd go out with my boys, and we'd always like you know make stuff up. But you have to kind of go with it. Uh, but I did it for the network one time, and people didn't know I could do it, so it, it worked out well. But um, you know, always trying to perfect your craft. I think that's always a key. Just like at running back, I always was training and watching and studying other people to figure out how to perfect my craft. I do the same here where, you know, I go to different classes, listen to different people speak, um, do a little public speaking sometimes, which mm-hmm. is pretty tough. Um, and you just learn that each different type of speaking or broadcasting has a certain lane that you have to follow. And so, uh, you know, I just kind of taken that and, and followed those rules and just put my own spin on it, and here I am. One of the things that I'm always uh, both impressed by and also kind of makes me cringe is the former players who go out and have no problem being critical of, you know, either former teammates (laughs) or current players. And I know that's part of the job, right? Like, you are there to analyze, but how do you get comfortable with the idea of criticizing people once you, since you've been in that scenario before. Yeah, well, if you, like, drop a pass, it's, it's simple to say, like, you have to catch that pass, sure. right? And, I, and that's why I kind of keep it. I don't really go into the personal, uh, or like, this guy's a bad person, or I don't, I don't go there. I think when players do that, that's more someone, a producer, someone in their ear trying to rile them up to go. 
uh, try to get them to tag people because you know at the end of the day we're about clicks and getting people to watch and ratings yeah, and different me- things media. like that. It's a media deal. Yeah. Um, I try not to do that because I have relationships in the NFL that that I hold in high regard and, and are dear to me. So the players that I, I that I do know or like the Rams, for example, like I'm always on the bus with them. I always talk to them. Uh, you know, if there's a time where I need to be critical, I'll be critical, but it won't be. Like this guy's bad. Oh, this guy needs to make a play. Yeah, it's very simple. I mean, there's different. You could reword it. Um, I think some guys they just go out there and attack guys. Um, for example, with the whole Le'Veon Bell situation, sure. there were some people that were like, "Oh, he's selfish. He's this. He's that." And just and for people who maybe aren't familiar, he's he has a contract, but no, he's holding out. Well, so so I, I see that's that's the I that's the portrayal. Yeah. So so he doesn't he they he's on the franchise tag, which. Unless you sign it, you have a contract. If you don't sign it, you don't have a contract. Correct. So right now, he just doesn't have a contract. His rights are, you know, uh, the Steelers have his rights. So if he does decide to come back or when he decides to come back, he has to play for the Pittsburgh Steelers, but he doesn't have a, a contract. So he's not holding out. He's just not working right now. Got it. Um, and so some players were calling him selfish and saying different things. And and my response to that is, you know, Le'Veon Bell has been one of the top running backs in this league for the last four or five years consistently. Um, yes, he's had some off the field issues and, and, and the young players, when you get money in your pockets, most do. Um, but they need to compensate him a certain way. They need to pay him for his worth and what he's been able to do. And for players to go out and speak on that, that's selfish on their part because mm-hmm. Le'Veon was all for you. when when you, it was your turn to get paid. Right. And then, and, and those type of things. And so some former guys came out and were like, Oh, if I was in the locker room, I would do this. And, and I know them dudes. They're like, you wouldn't do any of that, right? So stop trying to, like, make yourself bigger than what it is. Uh, just be honest. And, and I think so. honesty is the key in, in, this, in, this, in the media at yeah. the end of the day. Like, if you're honest with your real and don't, like, try to fabricate and try to make, oh, I would have I said this in the lot. Like, no, you wouldn't have, right? You're talking about a guy and his money and his family. You're not going to ever cross that line, period, if he's there or if he's not there. And I, and I think that was – one of the big issues that uh, you see in the media is some players, they may think a certain way, but in all actuality, they wouldn't do that in real life, right? They're just saying what they think because they're so far away from it. Do players ever uh, come up to you if you do say something critical? Like, are they listening or? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. They uh, go well, back and listen to the broadcast or Yeah, something? so uh, Le'Veon and I have the same agent and... Um, there was a time where I said, you know, he needs to pick his game up a little bit. And I got a text. Got a phone call I got a text and a phone call. Yeah. And he, you know, and I explained to him, like, look, that's that's my point of view. I'm I'm looking at outside in. You know what's going on inside the building. I yeah. don't. And um, but I wasn't really like, too critical. I was like, hey, he needs to do certain things. He needs to just do this and that. And I get it because I played, and I don't you don't want people to tell you what you're supposed to do. Um, but I explained to him, look, I have a job to do, and I always have your your what you're doing in, in my in your best interest. I'm always in your best interest, but um, I still have to, you know, I have to do my job. Right. right. And if I see a play where I think you messed up, I'm going to say it, period. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious, um, given how not only your current role, but like how long you've kind of been following the media industry, what do you think of the, where are we headed right now with the NFL and, and television, for example, right? I think it was uh, last year or two years ago, the ratings were down and it was like, oh, is it don't Trump? Believe or- it. Don't believe it. Well, this year they're, they're back up, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't, 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 believe, it, it don't believe in none of that. I mean, a lot of people, when you're the big dog and 
your 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 business is worth close to $11, $12 billion, whatever it is, and everyone's trying to catch you. I mean, everyone's going to do everything, sure. right? Now, granted, the, the ratings were down, and they and then normally they go down every year during an election year. Right. Um, this was a big one because it yeah, was Trump. It was and Trump and Hillary, stuff. and it was a lot yep. of stuff going on. And yeah, so that that happens, but the money never changed, and that's what people have to realize. The ratings can go down, but as long as the money's going up, that's all that matters. And, and so, um, I think obviously with Colin Kaepernick and his situation and what he, you know, taking a knee and. And all that, you, 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 America split. Some people aren't watching because Colin's still not playing. Some people aren't watching because players are taking a knee. Um, but at the end of the day, stadiums are still being sold out. TV, TV, the most watched games are NFL or TV, period, right? Yeah. So you can, you know, I'm a big Game of Thrones person. Love it. Um, they still have more people watch Sunday night games and sure. Thursday night games when they're a great matchup. Uh, than they do anything else, and and the football will always be that way. It's a, it's America's pastime, and so uh, it's America's game. And I think uh, once people get out of their feelings and you know quit taking stuff personal and quit being emotional and, and understand the message from uh, both sides, uh, but specifically Colin Kaepernick's message that you know people aren't being treated fairly in, in this country and that needs a change, uh, I think football will go back to being great, and that's what it's about. What do you think about the the kneeling thing? Does it uh, do you have any strong opinion one way or the other? I mean, I'm, I I've protested when I played over the same thing. Uh, we were in Green Bay. I was in Oakland. I scored and I did the hands up, don't shoot. And I think you know, um, you know, I, I definitely have a uh, 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 I, I raised I had to, I was raising at the time I was raising three black boys, where I'm gonna have to tell them that you know how to act when you get pulled over, and I don't think that's okay. Um, the same. The same uh, conversation my grandfather had with my mother and my uncles that my mother and uncles had with me, I'm going to have to have with my boys. That's four generations of teaching people how to act when you get pulled over. I don't. A lot of people don't have to do that. And, and so uh, I, I definitely spoke about that a ton when I was playing, and I still do now, about how I have to raise my kids completely, regardless of where I live, right, regardless of how much money I make. And we've seen that with LeBron. You still have to act a certain way because of the way I look. And I think that's wrong. Um and obviously, you know, Trump has come out and done and said some things and done some things and people have reacted to it. But at the end of the day, innocent people are dying every day um, from people who are supposed to protect and service. And that's not OK. We're not saying that every person is wrong and we're not saying that every police officer is is bad because they're not. My, my brother-in-law is a cop. And he's 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 a good one. I know a, a bunch of cops are on my I coach youth football. I have two cops on my coaching staff. They're good cops. Um, but there, there, there's a the few bad apples in those situations that make it bad for everybody. Yeah. And so those are, those are the things that we're, that Colin Kaepernick and everyone that that's fighting this, this social injustice are trying to fix, like change, reform these things and make it different. Um, and when you try to change the structure of a, of a country that's been running a certain way for a long time, you're going to get a ton of backlash. And, and that, and that was understood. It feels like, uh, it feels new, even though to your point, you know, you, you were doing something similar when you were a player, different, different right. way of, of expressing it, but the same idea. Um, I guess I'm curious how much you, you kind of mentioned how this can impact, uh, you know, maybe people watching football or not watching football. Um, uh, do you see this as like the kind of thing that we're going to still be talking about in a couple of years or, you know, is this going to be no, the norm? Um, no, I don't think it will be the norm. I, I think again, you know, um, it's kind of changed a little bit, the narrative because players were kneeling in, in the beginning, um, well, Colin was kneeling in the beginning because he wanted to change some things and, and those things are starting to happen. Don't get me wrong. They're starting to happen. Um, 
But now players are kneeling because he's not allowed to play the game anymore. He feels as if teams have, which, you know, I, I feel a certain way about it as well, but I feel like he's, he's better than a lot of quarterbacks that are starting right now in the NFL and he should be in there. Um, but these owners and, and teams have a right to pick who they want to do. And, and, and he has a right to, to go after the league for that. And so I think that's what the kneeling is about now. Um, you still have players going out, you know, going on police rides, trying to get the community to go back, uh, the, the police and the community to get back together. Those are important things that um, this is why it all started. Um, had nothing to do with that national anthem. Yeah. Had nothing to do with the veterans. And, and granted, you know, that's the narrative that people spin to, but um, Colin made it really clear in the very beginning, and, and, and rightfully so. So, um, you know, uh, at the end of the day, people just want to be able to live their life not with fear. And right now, you know, we're working towards towards that goal, but we still have a long ways to go. Yeah. What did you think of, of the uh, Nike campaign? I oh, I love Nike campaign. I thought it was awesome. I I feel like, you know, it showed that, you know, he is different, and it's okay to be different. Um, you, it's it's hard to say because people. It, it's so funny. It's easy for someone to. Um, it's easy for someone to like that's not in the in their your shoes to say I would do that or I wouldn't do that, right? Sure. Um, but unless you're in that in that position, like you really don't know what you would do. And so, I, I feel it's it's wrong for a lot of people to criticize players for not standing behind Colin Kaepernick because they have families that they have to feed, and you and that's the way they make money. It is what it is. Colin knew going into it that this was a possibility, uh, and he still did that, and and I applaud him for that. Yeah. Um, but, you know, for Nike to jump on and stay with them throughout this whole process, who's a, one of the bigger sponsors of the NFL, uh, is huge to show that, you know what, at the end of the day, we are going to be on the right side of history. And I, and I think that's that's a statement that for a company like Nike to step up shows other companies that you can do it, which other companies have tried to fall off as well. Yeah. I'm going to take a quick break real quick. Uh, read an ad. We will be right back with Maurice jones Troop. Today's show is brought to you by Smartwater. Not satisfied being like other brands, Smartwater looked up into the clouds and said, I wonder if we can one-up Mother Nature for a pure, crisper water. And guess what? They did. This is the kind of water that regular water gets jealous of. And it's the water that refreshes like no other brand. Try it. Smartwater. Vapor distilled for purity. Electrolytes for taste. Today's show is brought to you by Hilton. When you travel for work, do you stay by the airport or do you stay downtown? Do you take your clients out for dinner? Do you have room service? Should you pack your swimsuit? How do you answer these questions? Just ask yourself, what would the boss do? Here's the answer. The boss would choose Hilton. Hilton has modern meeting spaces and amazing pools and everything else you need to get down to business and a little pleasure. So check out Hilton Hotels and Resorts and travel like a boss. Okay, we are back uh, with Maurice Jones-Drew. We're at NFL uh, Network headquarters, former Pro Bowler, current analyst. Um, we're. I, I want to get your opinion about um, kind of futuristic technologies. Uh, where do you think we're going to be watching a football game in five years? Is it still going to be TV, traditional uh, TV? I don't think it'll be like it's starting to change now. Where you're watching on your tel- on your phones and stuff, which is awesome because everyone's on the go. Um, it's 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 weird the way things are starting to change. It's a different dynamic now where Sundays used to be the day that you and your family would hang out and, and watch games together and, you know, kind of do the 
uh, family deal where now most people are on the go, trying to go somewhere, you know, are always on their phone. So you get a chance to consume it that way. There's also like a lot of football and I'm a big football yeah. fan, but by Sunday evening, you're drained. I, you know? could, I could be very well drained yes. uh, from football, especially I also like college football. So it's uh, at another day everything. of the weekend. Yeah. No, I, and I, I think, um, you know, I had an opportunity a, a couple of years ago when I first retired to invest in a, a, a VR company. And uh, what's it called? It was called Rad Three. Okay. Um, it was called. Is that well? Mean it's I, I don't not know. If it, I mean, I don't know if it's still called that or not. Yeah, got um, it. I know uh, VR is where they're still in. I know they have like a VR arcade in Walnut Creek. So if you okay. want to go check it out, check it out. Dope. Okay. Um, but we had started a, a myself and a, a high school teammate of mine who played for the Patriots uh, started a game with them called Dime Time, and it was a it was a game to teach young kids how to play quarterback. Right without without playing quarterback, sure. so teaching you how to go through your reads and teaching you different concepts and teaching you, you know, what coverages look like by animation. It was like a video game. Um, I could see the game going that way. I could see the whole Vic experience that commercial they had, where you're like, you put the thing on, you do what Michael. I could see those things happening, but at the end of the day, you still have to. It's, it'd be hard to consume it like being in the game because the game is so fast. It'll be it'll be crazy for people. Some people get nauseous from it. Um, some people just wouldn't understand it. So it's always, you always need that bird's eye view. And I think the t television companies were doing, were doing a great job with that and then the production of it. Um, so I think telephone is probably, or iPhones or Samsungs or whatever mm -hmm. mobile device you have, um, will be the way that people will, you know, you'll still have TVs, you'll still have Apple TV, all those different things. But I still think uh, cable and DirecTV will still be around. I, yeah. Like, I think people telling me, like, oh, in three years, DirecTV will never be around. Like, mm, I don't I don't think so, bro. Yeah. Like, I get a lot of young people don't pay for cable and they they use, you know, Amazon Prime or whatever it may be. But, you know, the avid, the avid football fan wants more. And, and you're going to get that from watching TV and watching different things or on your phone and doing those type of deals. So... I think it may lean more towards the mobile devices, but it'll still be a lot of TV being watched. I think the thing with VR for me, and I've tried the, I've I've seen the different, um, you know, angles at which you can watch a game and look around. Feels like you're in the stands, whatever. I think the big thing for me is that I still consider watching sports a pretty social element mm -hmm. of my life. Uh, usually, I'm with a friend or sports a, bar. Yeah, sports bar. I'm with my wife. I'm with whatever. So unless I'm home alone, I'm not probably going to throw on a VR headset. And even then. It's got to be a better experience than TV, which is pretty good. Well, yeah, and that's the thing that the NFL is having trouble with right now is is that the TV experience is much better than the in-game. It is, and in-game is expensive, too. It's expensive, and, you know, so they're trying to find ways to to make it a little bit, you know, more uh, fan-friendly, but... <clears throat> so what does that mean? I mean, are, are, is there a risk of... You know, we see with uh, the LA Chargers, for example, they can barely sell out. You know, this small soccer stadium. Yeah, like, but are they, people but they not have go they have games? their own issues. True. Why why they're not selling out? For it has sure. nothing to do with them as a I, them leaving San Diego is what is the main reason. A lot of people were upset with that. Sure, and they were they've been upset with the way their team has been run for for years, right? So that's a bad that's a bad that example. takes that one. But I I could say, for example, like you know, when the Rams moved here. Um, when the Rams moved here, it was it was weird. Like the first game was sold out. It was crazy, right? Because yeah. it was LA, they're back and they weren't good. And are they playing in the Rose Bowl or at USC? They're playing at USC. Okay. Which is big. That's yeah, a, which it's it's a ninety eight thousand. Yeah, that's a lot of fans. Out. But they weren't good. 
Yes. Right? So it was like, oh. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you have to be good consistently to get people to come and watch, right? That's that's the key. And in the league right now, you have like four or five teams that are really good, maybe eight that are really good, and the rest are either mediocre to bad, right? And so teams are always rebuilding, always changing. There's no real consistency. And that's what hurts you more than anything. Everyone's trying to find the next Sean McVay or the next Sean Payton, the next Bill Belichick. Everyone's trying to find this guy. Um, but you have to give your guys an opportunity. See, the thing about Bill Belichick is he's been coaching the Patriots for 19 years or something crazy like that. Like, consistency. Right. That's the key. And so uh, a lot of people are impatient, and a lot of fan bases are impatient. They want to win. And so if you don't win right away, that hurts ticket sales, and it makes it easier for them to go and watch you on TV. Do you have any opinion about uh, tech companies like Amazon, for example, or Facebook or Twitter coming in and you know streaming a game versus like a traditional TV network? No, why not? I mean, I, I'm all for trying to get it out to as many people as possible. I remember doing a Yahoo. Um, the Jags played the Ravens last year in London. In London, Yahoo, yeah. And Yahoo, uh, we did the pre and post from here, but Yahoo streamed it. And I want to say it hit like 6.5 million people. Like, that's huge. That, that's that's huge. At 6 a.m. on the West Coast, right? right? You're, I mean, 9 a.m. on the East Coast, you have a game that you can see on your phone if it wasn't up in your area, if it wasn't blacked out in your area. So um, that that's big. I mean, you're just trying to reach more and more people. And these people were global. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't direct TV. It wasn't your cable, whatever cable box you have. It, it was people across the world watching this game. And, and I think the more the league can do that, the more fans they'll draw in and it'll be better for uh his business. Yeah, it seems to be moving that way for sure. Um, I've, I'm interested to see if it'll survive on like a Netflix or, you know, Amazon Prime subscription, right? Right. Like that is something that we haven't really seen beyond just experiments at this point. Um, it feels like we're headed that direction, at yeah. least for maybe a handful <laughs> of games. Even. I'll tell you this. Uh, the one thing I learned about the NFL, money talks. Yeah. Right. So no matter what, they'll find a way to make it work. And yes, they're testing games and doing things because there's always a bigger picture behind it. And, um, you know, and, th and that's big business. That, that's that's the business of Facebook. And that's the business. That's why Facebook is buying everything, right? They're buying the, the um, Oculus and they're buying Instagram and they're buying this and Google's buying that. And, and Google has their own venture uh, firm that's like investing it. In. Like, so everyone's trying to buy and get as much content as possible. But the number one content in the world, or at least in the world is soccer, but in America is football. And so um, everyone's trying to figure out a way to get that content because that's what drives obviously viewers and subscribers and things like that. And like live sports is one of the only things that still gets people to the couch at a specific time. It's probably the only thing, right? Maybe yeah. politics. <laughs> well, poli politics, I think, um, it's weird because when you bring when you bring in politics, you mostly you're with people that, that think the way you think. Sure, right? you never. Otherwise, it's, it's, it's weird. Very uncomfortable yeah, it's, it's weird. Like you, I've experience. never seen people say like, "Oh well, you know what? I'm gonna go watch. I'm a Republican. I'm gonna go watch with Democrats." Or I'm gonna. You're like, no, it's never that. It's like, yeah, no. ah, we're gonna. I'm gonna go hang out with my buddies that think the same <laughs> way I do. Which is, you know, your, your prerogative. That what you. I, I've always been taught, and again, I went to at De La Salle. They had a debate school, and I. I now they had a debate team, and I kind of did a little bit of it. But uh, you, my big—I always want to know what the other side's thinking, right? Because you just never know. Like my argument may be flawed. I don't—I don't know, right? And so if I don't know what the other side's thinking, so I actually do try to hang out with people who think differently than me, just just to hear their arguments. Because if we do end up getting into a bad, I want to know what you're thinking, or I want to make sure that I'm 
right in my thinking of you know and so um but yeah politics you should run are you gonna run for office look at it. i mean <laughs> someone who, no. who actually wants to hear both sides i mean that's like you're a unicorn out there yeah, i mean you, you should always hear both sides it, it, I, th I think uh sometimes we lose our we lose our reason yeah um and we we kind of let it be emotional but uh yeah I, I, sports is probably the only thing you can do when we watch with everyone everyone like you could you can i had my brother-in-law is a Bengals fan and this past week and they played the dolphins and is one of his uh best friends is a dolphins fan and so him and his buddy who are both Bengals fans go to this dolphins bar in atlanta and they're watching it. And it is the he said it was the best time ever. Yeah. He was like, they were yelling at him when the game was going. And then he was yelling at them at the end because they won. But that, like, it was all in good spirit. You know, and I think sure. that's what what makes football because everyone understands sports and they try to, you know, keep it lively. It can be a fine line sometimes. Um, you mentioned investing. You, you said you invested in a VR company. Mm -hmm. um, what's your, And you live in the Bay Area right yeah. now. So you're... Near, I'm surrounded by tech. You're surrounded by tech. Um, what is your what's your status as an investor? Is this something you actively do? Uh, it, it just it's tough because I have so many kids. I have three kids now, so I try not to lose a lot of money because <laughs> um, they take a lot of it with youth sports, uh, which I'm I'm really big in that as well. But uh, there's been opportunities that I've been like you know you buy stock in Facebook when they come out or uh, different platforms like that, Twitter and and different things, but. Um, there's actually a group, uh, led by Ryan Neese, who is Ronnie Lott's son. Um, forget the name of it. It's a. An, inve an investment group. Though. It's an investment group. Yes. Okay. And, uh, with this group, um, you know, we've been working together, trying to figure out a way for, to, to work together and, and do some investing. Uh, but he's so connected in, in the tech, like got a chance to go to Google ventures, got a chance to go to Sand Hill. We were talking about before. Yeah, Sand Hill uh, Road, Sand Hill Road, Rosewood yeah. Hotel. Rosewood Hotel. Like yeah. when all, what is the big VC up there on Sand Hill Road? It's, oh, it's a mean, couple of them. But there's a bunch of them. Uh, Sequoia. Sequoia went to Sequoia, okay. met with them. They were talking about some things where, and and my concern with the investing um, is that it's such a low hit rate yeah. that it scares me. Right, I'm 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 real soft when it comes to that. Like, you like I grew up with I grew up with no money, so it's like I got money now. Like, I'm gonna try to keep it as long as I can. Um, but, uh, you know, there were there was they were talking about how you know they're, they're they try to hit it like a twenty percent, thirty percent rate. If they hit, then they're and they're, they're like happy. the best in the biz historically. Exactly. Like so, right, and so yeah. they told us a story about how they spent a hundred and like one point something billion dollars. And they bought this molecule at one point and or they invested in this molecule that ends up selling. And that one molecule paid for like three of those, like the whole thing three times over, right? Sure. And so it, it's just, it's a real dangerous game and it's kind of hard, especially now with everyone popping up with something. Uh, Snapchat is tough. My brother works at Snapchat. Oh, really? Um, yeah. So he's in out here in LA. So he he under he, you know, he always talks about it, but it's always something new coming up. You just don't know if it's going to hit or not. Right. And so that's always the scary part, like Uber or Lyft. And, um, How do players deal with that while they're still playing? I imagine they get tons of people throwing uh, yeah. things at them. You always hear these, you know, oh, so-and-so lost their money. They invest in a bunch of car washes or they invest in restaurants or whatever. Um, what was it like as a player to to have that happen. Oh, it was crazy. Um you always get hit with different things, but I had I had two great men that were surrounding me. Um my financial guy who works for UBS, Stacy Oster. Uh 
great guy, really, you know, scrubs everything, real conservative, making sure everything is good, takes his time with it too, doesn't rush it. A lot of times people will be like, well, I need it by tomorrow. Like, well, we're not, like, we're not going to get that, sure. so chill out. And then obviously <laughs> my agent, uh, Adisa Bakari, who's at the Sports Entertainment Group, was another one that I would like to run stuff by because he's a lawyer. And so, um, you know, he would run it through his investment lawyers to make sure everything was good, do background checks, make sure that people were clean. Um, and a lot of times you do a background check, the guy's dirty or the, or the person's dirty that you're dealing with. So you just you usually get away from it. Uh, a couple of times it ended up working out where it was a good investment. And when we did it, um, there were sometimes it was a good investment. We just took too long and we missed it. But, um, you know, for me, my biggest investment when I was playing ball was in me because that's how I made my, that, that sure. was like, yeah, if I was healthy, yeah, yeah, if I was healthy and I was doing things, I got endorsements, next contract. So that's what I was investing in more than anything else. And, and a lot of players are so funny. Um, my grandfather always, used to always tell me like, dude, like you're a football player, right? You're not an engineer. You're not an investor. You're none, you're none of this. Like your whole life, you played football. You went to college, let, let's be honest. You went to UCLA, got a good education, but you went there to play football. So be a football player. Uh, my agent used to say the same thing. Sometimes players come out and they feel like, oh, I, you know, I, I've always wanted to do this, but you never put in the amount of time and effort to do it. Um, and that's why, you know, like I told you in the very beginning uh, of the show was that I sucked at a, as a broadcaster <laughs> in the very beginning. Horrible. But I put those 10,000 hours in the watching tape, watching myself, making sure, you know, I'm critical of myself, being coached by different people, doing improv classes, different things to help me become a better a better person to have find my niche and what I want to do uh, within the media. And so I think a lot of players need to understand that when they start investing. It's like, all right, like, okay, dude, you have money. That's great. But you just don't go and be like, oh, I'm going to open up a car wash. Like, you've never washed a car right. in your life. Like, what, right. do you, what do you know about a car wash, you know? What do you know about running something? Um, and so it, even now, like, I opened a gym in the Bay Area or, or facility. And, you know, it's crazy. You know, so many things have popped up in the last, we opened it a year ago. Me, I, I funded everything and all my buddies come in and they train out of there. Uh, great, great business. We've, we've, we went from 15 people to almost 600 in a year. Mem um, like members to the gym. Uh, yeah. So we're not, it's not necessarily a membership gym. It's more of a, uh, people that come through, right? So gotcha. how we have it is like a salon. It's, it's made up like a salon because I'm not there every day. So okay. I had to do it where they're independent contractors. We work ourselves throughout. Um, but we created a baseball organization out of the facility. We created a basketball organization out of the facility. We're creating a track one out of the facility where we're branching off to do different things. Um, but it's crazy. Like the headaches that come with it and the stuff that comes with it and things that break. And that, like, I'm like, what am, what, what am I doing? But, <laughs> you know, at the end of the day, it was my love for my community to help our kids have a place that they can train and be better. You know, I trained in... Miami, I trained in LA, I trained in all these different cities. There was nothing in the Bay Area or the East Bay, at least, that I can say, like, this is where I trained. Yeah. And so we created a space for, you know, young athletes as well as adults to come and work out. Um, and, and we've we've grown. We've done a great job with it. You always hear uh, about, especially the players on the Warriors, like, oh, they live in Silicon Valley and they have an ownership group in the NBA who's very connected to the Silicon Valley tech scene. So they're cropping up, <laughs> investing. Uh, you finished your career, most of your career was in Jacksonville, yeah. but you finished your career in Oakland. You're from Oakland originally. Yeah. Does playing in the Bay Area, is there a benefit to players actually playing out there and being close to all of this? Oh, yeah, if you're good. <laughs> I think yeah. if, you, if you're a good team, yeah, no question. Um, 
for me, going back home was more, I just wanted to play in front of my family again. You know, uh, growing up in the Bay Area, playing youth football in Antioch, to going to De La Salle, uh, to going to UCLA and coming back and playing Stanford and playing Cal there and having that go. I mean, it's just a, such a special place when you're able to go back home and play and you play well. Um, in Jacksonville, we had a couple times we came out to the Bay Area. I think I came out like two or three times. It wasn't anything fun, but to to be able to wear the 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 black and silver uh, in front of my family members who are all Raiders fans at the, for the most part my wife's family is a Niners fans but, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's all you can you can yeah, you we, know, we, we stare them down they, they were yeah they were, they were they were they were Raider fans when I played but um but what about from sorry from, well, no, from I'm like about a, to, oh. I was going to tell you so like that when you when you you're able to do those you create relationships right so the kids that I went to high school with may now work at such and such tech or may gotcha. do this and it opens doors um where, you know, just, just like going to New York. If you played in New York, you look at Michael Strahan. If Michael Strahan played for the Houston Texans, he wouldn't be Michael Strahan who he is today sure. because of that market that New York provides. Well, the Bay Area is a little bit different where you get an opportunity to see tech every day. Um, most, I mean, the war, you talk about the Warriors owners, those are tech guys. Um, and so they're able to open doors for you in, in different ventures that you may be able to, if that's, in, you know, if that interests you. I remember the Raiders, we would have dinners or lunches. Um, their uh, player development uh, guy would, you know, set up. His name is Lamont, Lamont Winston, and Lamont would set up dinners with CEOs and VCs and all these people. And you'd meet them and you'd hang out and you'd talk and you know you'd be able to pass cards and email and do all those things. And still today, there's still people that I met at that that I can keep in contact with. If it's either through you know a fantasy league that we're in or through you know, whatever else it may be. I mean, where I live now in the city I live in now, um, my neighbors are all VC people. So, mm. I mean, again, it, it's it's a, it's it's definitely a plus living in the Bay Area. Now, it's expensive, don't get me wrong. Sure. But the opportunity there is tremendous. And so I there's people that I, I you know, either I coach their kid in youth football or they're my neighbor. And there's different opportunities that, you're, that were presented to you because of how you carry yourself or because, you know, people want to have you around. Yeah. Um. I'm going to throw it to one more ad break, and we will be right back with Maurice Jones-Drew. Today's show is brought to you by Zip Recruiter, the presenting sponsor of Recode Media. You know what's not smart? Bringing your new smartphone into the shower. Don't do that. You know what is smart? Using Zip Recruiter to hire for your business. Zip Recruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them for you. Their powerful technology scans thousands of resumes to identify people with the right skills, education, and experience for your job and actively invites them to apply so you get qualified candidates fast. Then ZipRecruiter spotlights the top candidates for your job so you never miss out on a great match. That's why ZipRecruiter is rated number one by employers in the U.S. Who rates them number one? Trustpilot. They rated hiring sites with more than 1,000 reviews. That's who. ZipRecruiter is the smartest way to hire. Now, our listeners can try it for free at ziprecruiter.com slash Peter. That's ziprecruiter.com slash Peter. Okay, we are back once again in LA at NFL Network uh, headquarters. I'm with Maurice Jones-Drew, former pro bowler turned analyst. Um, 
so you came out to the league, I believe in 2006? Yes. So social media didn't really exist in 2006. <laughs> no, it didn't. Uh, now, obviously, it's hard, hard to imagine <laughs> right? life without it. Uh, what was it like as a player to basically come into the league with no social media? And by the time you left, what, nine seasons later, it was probably all anyone talked about. Well, well, I'll, I'll say this much. I was... Um, I think we were the third. UCLA was the third school with Facebook. I want to say, like, second sure. or third. Yeah, it was. We were we were one of the first schools with Facebook, and so it was weird being able to have a, a site. It was kind of like MySpace in a way, right? Sure. Everyone had yeah. a MySpace or things like that. But to have Facebook that was only for college kids in the very beginning, which was amazing, right? And do you remember signing up? As oh a no, no player. question. Signed up and was like poking everybody and <laughs> friending all my friends and all this stuff, right? You're supposed to do, uh, but that was more like. Intimate. It was more, you know, this just for college kids. Now, when Facebook opened up to everybody, I was a little upset about it because I felt like that took away the 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 special interaction that I had with people that were in college. Um, when I got to the pros, I, I turned off my Facebook at that point, and uh, just because you were too busy, or because people were harassing you on it. No, it just it just it just didn't seem authentic to me anymore after that. You know, like you know, it was for college kids, and it should have been for college kids. Now, granted. I, at that at that point, I was 20 years old. I didn't understand the financial benefits of opening up to everyone, which now I do, and I, I see why they did it. But, um, you know, at that point, it was just for me, personally. It was just like, ah, well, it was fun for college. I'm in the pros now. Let me leave it alone, um, which I, that was not very smart. But um, <laughs> Why is that? Well, just because I could probably would have had a bigger following if I would have sure. kept it. Um, you know, you, you once you delete it, you have to start it back up again and do all those different things. And, you know, as a football player – now, especially now, you get a lot of endorsements and things because of the followers you have. I mean, the reason Odell Beckham got a $25 million Nike shoe deal was because he has like 17 million people that follow him or something crazy, right? Like sure. your your reach is is, is, is much uh, greater than uh, obviously what mine was. So um, it's funny, Rashad Jennings was a guy who we were in Miami training. I want to say it might have been 2008 or nine. We're in Miami training, a teammate of mine who now he's a, he's doing acting in Hollywood. And he came to me and was like, Hey man, you need to try this Twitter thing. I'm like, all right, look, man, I'm not doing anything with social media. Like I'm done. I just want to, I just want to play football and I want to, I want to train, play football, have fun, chill. He's like, man, listen, go get you a Twitter. Trust me. You'll love it. <laughs> so I got it, started watching, uh, like kind of seeing, following people, seeing, and, and, and it was I was always been interested in news, and I used to read the newspaper all the time. That's why he would bring it. That's why he brought it. He was like, "Bro, this is like the newspaper just on your phone." Um, and so eventually, I started tweeting a couple things out, and you started getting responses, and you started like seeing people from different places. And I, man, I, I just I, I fell in love with Twitter. And, um, and you're managing your own Twitter account, then? I manage all my own stuff. Gotcha. Yeah, I don't do the whole a lot of publicists. athletes or famous people. Yeah, I assume have like agents. To do me, it. that's trash. Like, if you're gonna do it, do it. Yeah. If you're not going to do it, then don't do it. But you should. it should be authentic because if you're going to go out there and, like, people know who I, I'm always going to be me. I can't be anyone else, right? I can't have anyone be me. I have my own little corny jokes or dry sense of humor that I throw out there, dad jokes, whatever it may be, that people know it's me. Um, or at least the people that know me know it's me. Um, and so uh, it, it's funny. Um, Twitter, I was uh, 2010. I'd hurt my knee. I'm out for the year, and I'm watching the the Chicago Bears game, the NFC Championship game versus the Packers. And I tweet something out about uh, about Jay Cutler saying, "Like, look, like when the going gets tough, quit." Quarterback for that, the Bears. Yeah, yeah, that's what. Yeah, Jay Cutler, yeah, yeah. the quarterback for the Bears. And so uh, there's a lot of Bears fans that weren't really happy with that. <laughs> um, actually, I, actually, I, I, I it was a two piece 
joke because it was like the Urban Meyer rule is in full effect. And then dot, 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 when the going gets tough, quit. Because he just did that at Florida, you know. And uh, so, so a lot of Florida fans were upset with me. Yeah. A lot of Bears fans were upset with me. And it was all over the media. I mean, everyone took it. And that's when I realized how powerful social media was. At that point, I think I had like 20,000 followers. The next morning, I woke up with 500,000. Wow. And so it was that like- That was your moment of that was, like that vi- was, viral social media. It was real. And it was one of the first the first things that ever happened. And so I then realized like, okay, I have to be careful what I say on here because not only are other people watching, there's kids following, there's different things. Even though I didn't, what I said wasn't wrong, it was true, but- you know, yeah, you're still active on Twitter. Oh, always active on Twitter. I, I, I answer fantasy questions. I, I tweet at people sometimes. I always try to tweet out. Uh, I'm big into the high school recruiting scene, so I always retweet the kids that I train with or work with, mm-hmm. uh, helping them get recruits. I deal with a lot of coaches in that situation. Um, I always tweet out, you know, certain news sites or whatever it may be, you know, that I feel like. You know, it's more on my side of thinking. Obviously, every now and then I'll tweet out the other side of thinking, but. Um, I enjoy it because it gives you a platform to really express who you are. Now, there's sometimes, I may not use Twitter for a month, then I'll just pop up, yeah. right? I may not use Instagram for a month, and then I'll just pop up. Um, Is that the other uh, site you use? Or yeah, you well, said I your use, brother's at Snap. So he's at Snap. I have a Snapchat, too? but I'm more, of a, I'm more of a looker than a Snapchat. I mean, okay. that's too much. Yeah. I'm, I'm, too, I'm not that old. How do you I'm deal, not that young. How do you deal with uh, trolls? I'm sure you have... As as a as a famous person, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure people like to you know call you out for things or yeah, whatever. Yeah, see, like I'm okay with the trolls. It's the death threats that you don't <laughs> that you get a little upset well, sure, with, I can right? See that, yeah. But those again, those are people that I and again, um, I grew up in a, a rougher area, so like it doesn't really bother me the trolling. Like people are gonna talk bad about you. They they talk. I mean, that's what some people do to make them feel better. But, you know, I, I've always, you know, anytime someone like after that, that the Chicago Bears situation, I had a couple of death threats and it wasn't, uh, I wasn't too happy about yeah, it to I say the imagine. least. But a lot of that is just people, no one's going to really, yeah. you know, most people are just talking and they're like, oh, I'll do this to you when I see you. And I'm like, well, then pull up, you know, <laughs> this is where I'll be. Or uh, another great example, I was with the Jags and uh, a bunch of Raiders fans were like on my timeline talking crazy. And, uh, <laughs> That Super Bowl, I forgot where we were, but I was like, look, this is where I am. I live in the Bay Area in the offseason. This is the bar I go to every time. If you feel feeling froggy, just show up. I'll be there on Tuesdays. Catch me there, yeah. right? And again, you do it to, to quiet people down. Um, Did you ever get scared someone might actually show up? No, no one's going to show up. Ain't nobody that bold in this thing, yeah. man. It's just, people just well, talk. you're also quite large, so I yeah, imagine. I, I'm not too much. I, I, I handle my own. Yeah, you, right? would, but, you, you would be fine. But it's, I mean, again, People are, those are people expressing themselves. And that's what we have to see it is. And so, like I told you in the very, like when I told you, like I have to see it from the other side, I get it. People are passionate about their teams and, and their fan bases. And so you always try to, uh, you always want to let them express themselves. As a father of three, how do you think about social or tech for your kids? Uh, so, so when I told you I had three boys, uh, one of them was my nephew. Okay. Who now lives, with, he just moved out and lives with his mom now. Gotcha. Uh, my cousin, but... Um, so you, so two so boys two, and a girl. Gotcha. So I have, and they all have, I mean, they have Snapchat and they, but how old are they? 10, eight and seven. Okay. But again, you, you, you just have to educate them on it, you know, like, and, and that's what I try to do. I, I've never been a parent to shield my kids from the world because those, those kids end up doing bad things when, when they they're hit with adversity. 
Um, I've always tried to be honest with my kids about questions they've asked. Um, I've always tried to, you know, and teach them how life is. My kids are pretty different. They watch the news. Oh, wow. Like Fox News and CNN News. It's so funny. Like the real news. Like the real news. Like they'll be up late at night watching certain channels. I'm yeah. like, yo, turn it off. Wow. I can't help it. Like, yeah, I turn it off. So they're they're engaged. And they were they were um 2016, they were really big in the politics. And they they had a they had their own voice, not my voice, their own voice. And and um we would speak on it. And my family's like, that's how my family is. Like yeah. all we we can sit down and and disagree over certain things and still be able to, you know break bread and enjoy each other's company. But um, that's just how we are, you know? And, and so I've always wanted to raise my kids to be able to think for themselves um, and not push my views on them because my views are my views and my wife's views are her views and their views are their views. And they should be able to, you know, hold a intellectual conversation with anyone at the age of 10 on anything. Yeah. Um, so they, so you don't mind, you don't mind if they have a Twitter or, Oh, they don't have, they don't, they don't have Twitter. They only have Snapchat. Snapchat. Yeah. And they really, a little bit more intimate that way. Yeah. And, and, and more of it is you can kind of watch who's following them and those type of things. What do you, what do you feel about, I know you said you're big into youth sports. Yes. Um, what do you think about, uh, well, the obvious tackle football for kids? I love kids. it. Yeah. I think, not, the be- I think it's the I think it's the best thing going. Not, not at all. Why not? Um, because, because you can get hurt doing anything. And, and I'll give you a great example. This year, I um, I coached 10U. Um, it cracks me up. One of our players got hurt, broke his foot, and sprained his ankle. Um, you would think it's at practice. No. He was jumping on a trampoline. <laughs> Another kid got a concussion. you think it was at practice. No, he was riding a scooter without a helmet. Yeah. So if you're going to stop... Again, if you're going to stop players from playing football, then don't let them play at recess. Because a couple years ago, my son had a, a team that had five kids get hurt. None got hurt on the football field. <laughs> one got hurt playing tag at recess, ran into a pole. Yeah. Another one broke his arm skateboard. Like, the stuff that kids do. So why, why like, oh, I'm not going to... No. So how many concussions do kids get when they fall down off something, off a bike, or they fall off the swing set? Like, you don't... We don't... We don't um, quantify those. And so I think for me, I always, this is my analogy. I tell people when, let's say you want to have heart surgery. Do you want the the guy fresh out of med school doing it? Or do you want the 20 year pro doing it? Everyone chooses the 20 year pro and that's what it is for football. Yes. It's a very dangerous sport. But if you have a kid that is playing at the age of five or six, like uh, my son played it, both of my boys played at five and six. Um, the hits aren't that hard. So they're learning how to protect themselves. And if they do make a mistake, there's no real risk at that given point. Because they're not being hit hard enough. Yeah, because they're, yeah, you're talking about kids that aren't coordinated. You're talking about the pads being bigger than them majority of the time, right? It's right. like little bodies, big heads. But they're learning that when I go across the middle, okay, this may hurt. Okay, I know how to protect myself. When And then instead of putting a kid at 12, who then will play against someone that has been playing for six years, and their first year is t- at 12, you're guaranteed that 12-year-old is going to get hurt. And then let's wait till high school. You're guaranteed that 14-year-old is going to get hurt because guess what? Now kids are lifting weights. They're bigger, stronger, more coordinated. And your kid doesn't know how to protect itself where these other guys do, and then you get hurt. And so I always tell people, you know, when they when they come and they, they ask me for my opinion, I always say, play, early, play as early as you can. And flag is not football. Right, and don't get me wrong. I think it's a great sport, and I think a lot of people do it. Um, I don't. It's a, it's a kind of a side dish to to tackle, 
But the flag rules are completely different than the tackle rules. Sure. And, and the reason being is that you have to be a much more physical person. And I have a lot of kids who have played flag for two or three, four years, and now they're coming to tackle football. And at the age of 10, it's a big jump because they've never seen contact like that. Like the thought of if you you have to run as fast as you can into the other person to protect yourself, they can't, they don't, they don't understand right. it. Right. And I always tell them, like, if you go 50%, he goes 100, you're gonna get hurt. And so um it's it's been a great teaching point. And we've had some, you know, a lot of parents that bought into what we're we're doing um at our organization. And we're gonna try to continue to grow this thing because the game of football is special. I always tell people, um, I'm from a small town uh, called Antioch, California. Um, we've had five guys go pro out of this town. Myself, or six, myself, maybe more actually. But myself, Sterling Moore, Taiwan Jones, Jeremy Newberry, Anthony Trucks, TJ Ward, and Teron Ward are the ones that I know of now. They're probably more. But, but football allowed us to leave this small town in the Bay Area East Bay, like we're the first city in the Bay Area, the Delta where all that stuff is, uh, to go see London, to go to New York City, to be able to travel the world and do different things, take care of our family, set up our families forever. Who am I to to not allow my kids or anyone else's kids, you know, that right to be able to try and get get that and get that, uh, what football has done for me. So um, I always tell people, like, it's better off starting early mm -hmm. than it is starting late. That seems uh, like as good of a spot as any to, to stop. All right. But this was awesome. MJD, thank you so much for no your time. I appreciate it. No problem. It. Next time we'll see you in the Bay Area. Let's do it up, up uh, north. All right. All right, man. Thanks again to Maurice Jones-Drew for coming on the podcast. And thanks to all of you for listening to this bonus episode of Recode Media. If you liked it, please tell a friend about it. And you can follow me, of course, on Twitter at Kurt Wagner 8. Uh, thank you to our sponsors and to Cadence 13 and to Vox Media for selling those ads that you heard. Uh, thanks to Joel Robbie, who edits this show, and to our producers, Gold Arthur and Eric Johnson. This is Recode Media. We'll see you on Thursday. Maurice Hilleman developed vaccines for some of the world's most devastating diseases. He's been called one of the true giants of science, medicine, and public health in the 20th century. Yet, he's not a household name. That changes today. Dr. Hilleman was on the forefront of discovering, developing, and inventing many vaccines that have helped save and improve lives worldwide. Dr. Hilleman's impact on public health is undeniable, and his passionate commitment continues to inspire scientists in medical research laboratories to this day. You've always known his inventions. Now you know who's behind them. Merck has been working to discover and develop vaccines for more than a century. Dr. Hilleman was just one of the many Merck scientists throughout our history who've been dedicated to inventing for life. See why we invent today at Merck.com slash inventing for life. Hi, this is Erin Patinkin, CEO of Ovenly. And I'm Natasha Case, CEO of Cool House. And together, and together we're, we're the, the co-hosts of Start, Start to, to Sale. Sale. We talk to entrepreneurs about what it takes to build a business from launch to exit. We'll really talk about the experience in the trenches, the most valuable lessons learned to get them out of there. Don't miss an episode. Subscribe to our show today. And thanks to Smartwater for being the founding sponsor of Start to Sale.